folks. Welcome to Pickaxe and Roll, brought to you by Superbook Sports. I'm your host, Ryan Blackburn, at NBA Blackburn on Twitter. Part of the Mile High Sports Podcast Network, and I am excited to discuss the NBA media survey, as that has come out during the middle of the season. I thought there was some interesting content on here. Haven't listened to any other shows on it. I, I wanted to just give my fresh thoughts before... Uh, really talking about it with anybody else. And so I, I read over it. I have my own takes. And I think that this should be a very interesting conversation on, on where people view the NBA right now, especially the Western Conference, which lots of interesting things coming out of that particular conversation. Also in the second segment, we'll talk about the Nuggets defensive improvement. What has gone into that statistically? What's really been figured out? by this Nuggets team during that stretch, and we're going to have a good time with it, I think. It should be a lot of fun. I was going to talk about trade chatter. I think I'll save that for the next podcast. I think that only going to do two segments today. That should be pretty reasonable given the amount of content, and also it's pretty late. It's 11 o'clock here on Tuesday night. I think that I would rather just give the two segments, and then we can talk about the trade stuff tomorrow, maybe. But for now, let's go over the media survey. This was a media survey that was conducted by Mark Medina. He is based in LA, along with basically half of the army that covers the NBA for ESPN and for NBA.com and places like that. Uh, Mark got together a whole bunch of beat writers from different markets and uh, basically asked them questions on, hey, who are the best teams? Who are the teams that are going to win? who are the best players, which teams are great, which teams are terrible, things like that. Very close to the John Schumann GM survey that comes out at the beginning of every season, except this one was conducted by media and kind of a a counterpart to that. So interesting stuff, had some interesting things to say, and it's just easy content, lots of takes that can be fired off about this one. But let's go through it. First question that really caught my eye was the 10 best teams in the NBA right now, and the Nuggets rank third. The Nuggets are third on that list behind the Boston Celtics, and just pull it up again because I am dumb. Okay, best team, Boston Celtics by a margin. There was definitely a lot of discussion about the Boston Celtics, over 250 points on first place votes. What that really means is you get 10 points for first place, 9 points for second place, and then 8 points for third place, things like that, etc., etc., all the way down to 10th place. And so Boston got 25 first place votes. Brooklyn got four first place votes, although they're all the way down at four behind the Milwaukee Bucks, who got the other first place vote, and then Denver, who got zero first place votes, but they got some votes for second, got the majority of votes for third, but they seem to be pretty comfortably in that two to four range for most people. Given that they're at the top of the Western Conference, but given that there's a lot of, I think, question marks on the other teams in the West and whether the West is actually as strong as it could be, lots of people are crediting the East right now. That's going to come up a little bit later. But I thought that was interesting. Denver ranked third by in terms of the best teams in the NBA right now. Uh, and this was a right now question, not a in a couple months kind of question. So there's another question that was directly following that, which team is poised to make a big second half run? The Nuggets aren't on that one. 
but interesting to see, the Golden State Warriors are. And they just got back Steph Curry tonight. I was watching that game. They're playing the Phoenix Suns, who are very, very barren in terms of talent due to injuries. And the Phoenix Suns won. And they won. Like they, The game got close at the end because of the ball pressure that Golden State put on. But the Warriors weren't that impressive. It was just one game, and it was Steph's first game back. But they might just be a mid-team right now. I know that their starting lineup is very, very good, but they just haven't felt the same since uh, last year, frankly. The other team that got a lot of votes for a big second half run was the LA Clippers, and they won tonight against the Dallas Mavericks. That feels a little bit more viable at times, just because Kawhi, Paul George, feels like those guys can get into a little bit of a rhythm going forward. How high that takes them, I don't really know. Next, which team will represent the East in the NBA Finals? Boston is first at 57%. Milwaukee's second, 33%. Brooklyn third at 10%. That's an interesting one. Everybody seems to think that Boston is going to be that team. And it's either going to be them or Milwaukee. Even though Brooklyn's had a lot of run here, people don't necessarily believe in Brooklyn. I think everybody's feeling a little bit burned by them given what's happened over the course of the last couple of years. And frankly, I get it. I do get it. Here's the one that everybody wants to know. Which team will represent the West in the NBA Finals? Number one, the LA Clippers, 34%. That's that's interesting. That is an interesting one. Second, Denver, 30%. So they just got one fewer vote. That's that's what that really means. Memphis is third at 23%. Golden State is fourth at 10%, and Dallas is fifth at 3%. So it's a lot more parity there. Nobody has really emerged as the favorites. I think Boston's emerged as the favorite in the East based off of their above 50% mark. The Clippers are only at 34%, and they haven't even really shown that they deserve to be at that place right now. I think everybody believes that they will eventually make it work. But the Clippers are one game above 500 right now at 22 and 21. It's been nothing impressive. And they have a negative point differential right now. So if you're looking for statistical indicators, they're not the team to really go to. Now, do they have a specific situation with Kawhi that has really impacted things? Sure. If you believe in Kawhi getting back to that place, then maybe that's fine. But if the Nuggets face the Clippers in a playoff series, I feel pretty comfortable picking Denver. Like They just have a really good matchup there. And if you believe in the Nuggets, at least making it to that level, and they face the Clippers, good luck to the Clippers. I do not know how they stop Nikola Jokic. There's just like, I think Denver can throw at a bunch of matchups at Kawhi Leonard and Paul George. Maybe not perfect stuff, but they'll hold them down a little bit. With the Nuggets, like who's stopping Nikola Jokic there? And frankly, who's stopping Jamal Murray there? Not a lot. Memphis got some votes. Golden State got some votes. They're they're one that I I believe in the Warriors, I think, more than I do the Clippers. Honestly, it just makes more sense to me to trust in what the Warriors have built as an infrastructure than trust in what the Clippers have built. There's no reason to believe that the Clippers are going to suddenly turn it on, in my opinion. The Warriors have given you reason to believe that. They have that gear in them. There's no doubt about it. 
I fear the Warriors far more than I fear the Clippers. There's no doubt. And the Mavs with Luka, they get a token vote. We'll see if that actually comes to fruition, but he would have to be the best player in every series, and he's capable of that. But I just think that if Denver has to go up against the Dallas Mavericks, Jokic has a better matchup in that one than Luka does. Jokic has had times where he doesn't take as many shots. There is no doubt that he's taking over 20 shots a game against the Mavericks, and they will have no answer. Best game of the season was another question that was asked. The OT win on Christmas over the Suns ranked second. Thought that was pretty interesting. Denver's getting a little bit of credit for that, and them having that great of a Christmas game means that they will almost guaranteed, they're almost guaranteed to have another Christmas game next year, which is great. Best play of the season, Aaron Gordon's dunk on Christmas ranked second as well. Both of those instances, they ranked behind the Mavericks game against the New York Knicks, where Luka put up 60, 21, and 10. And that's not a real surprise because what happened at that was he tipped in his own free throw miss at the buzzer. It was very, very impressive. Now, another one, another one that should give people a little bit of a, a little bit of intrigue here on this. Who will win the MVP? Number one, Luka Doncic, 43%. Number two, Joker, 40%. Those guys are very close together. Luka's got basically 14 votes. Joker's got 13. Feels to me like it's a pretty split race in terms of who thinks that Luka's better, who thinks the Joker's better. Luka's carrying a heavier load, that's to be clear. Joker is carrying a less heavy load, but still heavy, and has been even better than he was last year. There's a lot of momentum actually behind Joker in terms of getting that MVP this year. I think it will probably slow down at some point, and I doubt that he gets the third one, but I do think that it is a viable option. And the fact that it is viable and that people aren't really turning their noses up at it, I think that says a lot about where Joker stands in that NBA hierarchy right now. It's pretty cool. Next, Uh, no votes for Malone for a coach of the year thing. No votes for anyone on the Nuggets for most clutch player. Not really surprised by those. I'm I'm just, it just kind of is what it is. But here's the thing. If you don't vote Jokic for the best player, uh, the MVP award as the top seed in the West, then Malone should probably get coach of the year votes. That's sort of how this works. Now, They do have a lot of talent. There's no doubt about that. And I know a lot of people, especially Nuggets fans, have their own qualms with what Malone has done. But this is just kind of how it's supposed to work. If you get up to that level and you play well and you integrate all of these new pieces and you find a way to make it work and you're actually playing the best basketball of anybody, then you probably deserve some sort of recognition for it. And if Joker doesn't get an MVP... Are they just not going to give Coach of the Year? They're not going to give anybody else an all-star bid or all-NBA or defensive awards or anything like that. It's just it's going to be Joker kind of carrying everything, and that's about it. I understand that that's kind of how it feels. And honestly, that's kind of the rep that has been given. So not really surprised that that is how that's manifested. Next one, best center, Nikola Jokic. 86% of the vote goes to Jokic as the the best center in the NBA. 
Very, very impressive stuff. Embiid got the other 14%. Joker actually got a vote for best power forward. I assume that was to make room for Embiid for whoever was voting there. I'm going to guess that it was Keith Pompey of the Philadelphia Inquirer, which is hilarious. Uh, But there were other people to vote for Embiid. Not really surprised. Joker has, I think, solidified himself as the best at the position right now, which is pretty cool. Like everybody, everybody loves Joker right now. There's no doubt about it. Best international player. This is a pretty competitive one. Joker gets the most votes over Giannis, over Luka. 38% of the vote goes to Joker. 34% goes to Giannis. 28% goes to Luka. I'm not sure how many people in total voted on this, but the percentages aren't really adding up with all of these, but it is what it is. It's just very impressive to see Joker's done a lot for making up this gap because there was a time where they were voting for best international player and he came in at third behind Giannis, behind Luca. I think that was on the GM survey at the beginning of the year, which is crazy to me. But he has really cracked that. And it's been this year at the beginning that has really, I think, set him apart. Best passer? Joker, no contest. 65% of the vote goes to Nikola Jokic for the best passer in the NBA right now. Best passer in the world. It's crazy. It is crazy what he's doing. And to be as dominant as he is all around and also be the best passer over a guy like LeBron, who got 14% of the vote as the second place guy, says a lot. Other guys like Tyrese Halliburton, Trey Young, uh, yeah, Trey Young and there was somebody else who got like maybe James Harden, but it's really Joker and then it's everybody else right now, which is pretty fascinating. And then best rebounder, Sabonis got the majority of the vote here, or 38%. Adams got 21%, Stephen Adams. Giannis got 14%, but Joker did get a vote here. Had his rebounding numbers been up a little bit more, he'd probably get a little bit more. Uh, but right now, he hasn't had to rebound that much. There are times where Aaron Gordon's getting rebounds, where Michael Porter's getting rebounds, and where Jamal Murray's getting a little bit more rebounds than maybe somebody like Monte Morris. So they've definitely improved as a team rebounding in that regard. But Joker, not getting as many rebounds, that's fine. He's still get a vote. He's uh, He's still getting credit in that situation. The player that forces the most adjustments is Steph Curry. With 24% of the vote, Luka gets 21%. Joker and Giannis are tied for 17%. Interestingly enough, toughest player to guard. No votes for Joker here. I thought that was pretty interesting. Uh, It's not like a a shot or anything like that, but Kevin Durant, not a surprise, got the, the most votes here. Giannis got the second most. Luka got the third most. And then Steph, Embiid, Kyrie, LeBron. Also got votes there too. Not sure why LeBron got the got a vote over Jokic, but it is what it is. Um, and there's not that much more beyond that. I think it's just home court advantage. Golden State, thirty seven percent of the vote for home court advantage. They lead in that category. Boston at twenty seven percent is second, and Denver at seventeen percent is third. So the Nuggets get a, getting a little bit of credit for that home court advantage. They're 17-3 and three there so far. 
it's funny. They won 23 games at home last year. It was very few, not as many as they probably should have. And the home court wasn't exactly potent last season. This year, they had, they're basically on pace to go like 34 and 7, 35 and 6. So having at least a 10 game improvement in that regard year over year, that is an incredible change. So if they're able to hold, I'll hold up with that. That would be probably the most impressive stat going from last year to this year in terms of telling just how more, much more dominant Denver is year over year. So hopefully we see something like that too. But I thought this was an interesting poll. Or I thought this was an interesting survey in general. You're getting beat writers as opposed to uh, GMs, as opposed to coaches or players or anything like that. And it's good to pull the masses of who is who's always in the situation, the people that are watching. But beat writers, from coming from experience, you're watching your team more than any, and you get very few times where you're watching other teams' guys just because of how busy you are. And, and there are some that really try to invest themselves in the entire league. And then there are some that focus just purely on their team and really only lock in on that. So obviously take this in with a grain of salt. There, everybody did their homework, of course. I'm not going to say that they didn't, but I'm surprised that Denver didn't get the most votes to come out of the West. I think that if you're going for the safest pick right now, it's the Nuggets. The Nuggets are the team with the best player in the conference, at least right now. And they have the highest ceiling because of the talent around them, too. It's not perfect. Like, they don't have any all stars around them right now, at least I don't think. But You've got a whole bunch of solid players and a lot of pieces that can mix and match and do different things. Will it manifest? Will it happen in the playoffs this year? I don't know. I'm not a future predictor, but I do think that they have as good of a chance, if not better, than anybody in the conference. It's just kind of odd that the Clippers were the team that got the most votes for people because to me, they are not safe. They are not a safe team to pick. All right, let's take a break. When we come back, we are going to talk about the Nuggets defense and how it has improved expeditiously. But first, add this to your New Year's resolutions. Win money in 2023 with Superbook Sports. Superbook is over three decades of sports wagering experience in Las Vegas, so you'll get the best odds anywhere as we head into the football playoffs. Plus, check out their special odds boosts and promotions at Superbook.com. Make 2023 the year when you win money from Vegas. Download the Superbook Sports app now and place your bets. Visit Superbook.com for terms and conditions. Gambling problem call 1-800-522-4700. We'll be right back at Pickaxe and Roll. We're back. Big Axon Roll. Ryan Blackburn here. Thank you so much, everybody, for tuning in. Appreciate all the love and support on the podcast. As always, thank you so much. Got some new ratings, got some new reviews in the feed after the last episode, and that is fantastic, as always, to see. Uh, those always help the program, so thank you so very much. All right, let's get back into this. We're going to wrap up with defensive improvements. Everybody's talking about the defensive improvement. I've been going back to the Lakers loss when Denver gave up like 126. It was a game that they had no business giving up 126. 
Anthony Davis went out. LeBron James went a little bit crazy, but it was Russell Westbrook who really changed the tide of that game. And it was Thomas Bryant who really changed the tide of that game too. Those guys, all three of them, really killed Denver. And and they killed Denver because Denver was a little bit lax and lethargic and not necessarily putting in a ton of effort in that game. And then the change happened, and Denver started to play a little bit better. They got one win over the Charlotte Hornets, and then the Memphis Grizzlies win, I'm pretty sure, came immediately after that, where Denver allows just 91 points. Christian Brown in the starting lineup, Bruce Brown in there, both over uh, Murray and Porter, who were sitting out that night. And Denver looked great defensively. They had some great moments. Uh, Denver's benefited from a little bit of shooting luck, and we'll talk about that now, or, or not now, but just in a little bit here. Before my money, that game, the Lakers loss, really helped turn things around for Denver. I think there was a lot of looking in the mirror, looking at everything that was going on and being like, okay, we know that we have to be better defensively. It's time to put in the requisite effort and focus onto that end of the floor. Before, or including the Lakers loss, up through December 16th, it's very funny that this is right near Yokemus, which is pretty cool. 17 and 11 record Denver had. They had a the 14th ranked net rating at plus 1.4, which is fine. It's not it's like could be better. It's pretty average. 117.9 offensive rating, ranked second, and their 116.6 defensive rating, ranked 28th. On the defensive end, there were some indicators that really I think caused a lot of concern. Now, there are some good ones that Denver allowed the second fewest offensive rebounding uh, numbers, which was great. They had the 11th lowest free throw rate allowed, which was pretty good. But they were bottom 10 in forcing turnovers. Uh, they didn't get a, a lot of turnovers from the opposition. And the most important one is the teams just made shots on them. 57% EFG allowed on the nose. 29th in the NBA up until that point. Teams are making a bunch of shots. And what what I really take from those numbers, kind of diagnosing those from a statistical perspective, is that it's just pretty low energy. Not necessarily getting into people, not necessarily hustling all the way out to the perimeter. Your contests are a little bit lazy, not getting as much effort and energy into the defense as there probably should be for a really good team. But then you flip the script a little bit. And you look at December 17th to now, which is right after the Lakers loss, Denver's got a 10-2 record in that span, 12 games, plus 9.7 net rating, ranks second in the NBA. What's interesting, Brooklyn's first by a mile at plus 12.5. New York is third, the Knicks, at plus 4.6. So Denver at plus 9.7 is far and away the second best team. There's nobody else other than Brooklyn and Denver right now, that's playing great basketball. It's those teams, and it's and that's it, at least lately. 121.2 offensive rating, ranked second in the NBA. So they've maintained the offense, and the offensive rating over the course of the last 12 games has actually been better. It's just that the Brooklyn Nets have been even better than that, which is crazy. But the real difference is that the 111.6 defensive rating They've improved their defensive rating by 5 points per 100 possessions, and that's changed them from 28th to 3rd during this stretch. 28th 
bottom three to third, top three. That's crazy. And it shows the capacity, right? That's all Nuggets fans really wanted to see. They wanted to see the Nuggets be able to do those things. Not necessarily that they had to do it all the time, and I don't think that they have to do it all the time. But for them to do it some of the time, that's the most important thing. And here's how they're doing it. 51.9% EFG percentage allowed, fourth in the NBA. That is basically 5% better. 5% better in terms of EFG allowed. That's really good. Bottom 10 in forcing turnovers. So they're actually like not great at that. They're allowing the 10th lowest offensive rebounding rate allowed as opposed to the second lowest before. So it's still good. It's, it's fine. And then they're average in terms of free throw rate allowed, which is whatever. So they actually have not improved in those other categories. If anything, they've gotten worse. But the most important thing is just not allowing teams to make shots on you. If you foul them, it sucks, but it's whatever. If you don't necessarily get enough turnovers, it is what it is. You don't have to gamble all the time. You just have to play smart, disciplined defense. And then finish the possession, which is something that Denver's always done pretty well. They usually get a whole bunch of defensive rebounds. I think the bench over the course of this last few few game stretch, probably the biggest weakness in general in terms of defensive rebounding rate. But they can be better, and they will be better. I have no doubt about that. Um, it feels like the higher level of energy is there, at least anecdotally. I looked up some numbers to try to back it up, and what I found is that Denver's kind of allowing different kinds of shots now, not necessarily allowing the same rhythm jumpers that they normally did. Before December 17th, and here's, here's where you wonder whether shot luck comes into it. Cleaning the glass is a great site because they do a lot of good things, but one of the things that they do to sort of give a good indication of how good a team is doing versus what the expectation is, the Nuggets were allowing opponents to shoot 55% in their opponent location EFG percentage, which means that the expectation is for teams to shoot 55%. Before 12-17, Opponents were shooting 2% better than expected. So even though they're getting to those kinds of locations, opponents were shooting even better than that. Now, after 12-17, opponents are still at 15% or 15th in opponent EFG percentage in terms of location at 54.8%. So what that means is that where opponents are taking shots, at least in general, has not changed that much. And yet, opponents are shooting 3.9% worse than expected in terms of their EFG percentage. Now, why is that? What a statistical person will tell you is that that is a case of regression, that is a case of small sample size, and the Nuggets are probably somewhere in the middle of that. What that says to me is that over the course of the season, Denver's probably going to end up about 15th in terms of EFG percentage allowed. Now, they may not. It's 12. They have 12 game sample size in this one as opposed to a 28 game sample size in the the previous one. So they will probably end up still in close to the bottom 10, maybe like 20th or so. But right now, their EFG percentage allowed is fourth 
in the last 12 games, which is great. That is a fantastic number. The best defenses in the world are the ones that don't allow the opponents to make the shots on them. Sometimes they'll do it in different ways. Sometimes they'll be like the Milwaukee Bucks and they'll concede pull-up twos or spot-up threes for bad shooters. Sometimes they will be like the Toronto Raptors and they'll switch everything. They'll try to get into your airspace and they'll, they'll foul you a little bit, but they are going to crowd you a lot of the time. Now, NBA.com does things a little bit differently than cleaning the glass, but they have the Nuggets and their opponents shooting 3.8% worse than expected on three-pointers specifically over the course of these last 12 games. And that is a big deal because like a, a statistical person will say that that is going to regress. That number is probably going to come back to normal. But to me, I think there's something a little bit deeper than that, just having watched them at home over the course of these last 12. Yeah, they'll give up some open three-pointers every now and then, but most of the time, Denver's been hustling. They've been trying to run guys off the line, and that really shows up in the numbers. Before December 17th, here are some uh, interesting numbers that Denver was allowing. 37.1% on wide open threes, 38% on open threes. So they're getting a little bit unlucky in terms of the open numbers, but the wide open numbers, they're actually getting a little bit lucky in comparison to the rest of the league. In general, they allowed 37.5% on op- or 30.8 open threes per game. 37.5% is it's average to subpar. After 12-17, in these last 12 games, Denver's allowing fewer three-pointers especially open three-pointers. They're allowing three fewer three open three-pointers per game. And the percentage they're allowing on those shots is 33.4%. So it's actually 4% better, and they're allowing fewer of them, which says to me that the Nuggets are doing a better job of running teams off the line, or at least, at least making things more difficult for them to get up those open threes. Denver can't control if teams make open shots against them. They can't. It's just not going to be a thing. Like there, there are some teams that do it better. There are some players that you may want to end up shooting more shots. But in general, if a team gets a rhythm, open, catch-and-shoot jumper, there's nothing a team can do about that once the shot goes up. Denver's getting a little bit better luck in terms of the makes right now. But what stands out to me is they're allowing fewer shots. That's the most important factor here. And what's come with that, in the last 12 games, the Nuggets have also allowed a lower field goal percentage in the restricted area. So they're not sacrificing rim defense. They're not sacrificing the rim and the paint in order to really hurt their three, uh, to really correct the three. Denver's doing both right now, or at least both at a reasonable rate which has led to vast improvement on the defensive end. Zeke Naji deserves a lot of credit here. When he is on the court, the Nuggets are allowing 104.6 points per 100 possessions. That's And they have a plus 5.5 net rating when Zeke has been on the court in these last 12 games. It has worked. Those minutes with Bones Highland leading the bench and Zeke out there as the primary backup center, have really mostly worked. It's been good. 
cleaning the glass will tell a little bit of a different story in terms of when you factor out garbage time and whatnot, but I don't have really much time to talk about that on this pod. But in general, Zeke deserves a lot of credit. He has been better in terms of finding ways to help impact the defense than DeAndre Jordan has. And that's just a fact. Here's something that stands out. When Zeke Naji is on the court, the Nuggets allow a defensive or they have a defensive rebounding rate of 71.6%. When DeAndre Jordan is out there as the center, that number has dropped to 67.4, over 4% fewer defensive rebounds that they've grabbed. Denver has not been good in general rebounding the basketball when DeAndre Jordan's been out there. And because sometimes he gets a little bit lazy in terms of his box outs, in terms of putting a body onto somebody and out jumping them and being physical. And that's fine. But Zeke has actually put a body on the opposing team's best rebounder most of the time. And when you have other guys who are capable of leaping in for rebounds like Bruce Brown and Flacco and even Bones has got his hands dirty a little bit, that's really helped with Denver's defense. Denver as a team is allowing 110.5 points per 100 possessions in these last 12 games. Nikola Jokic when he's out there, 109.3. When Jokic is off the court, that defensive rating is still at 109.4. So Denver's doing the thing finally, where the offense, it's not going to be the same when Jokic is off the court. Nobody is expecting that. The offense goes from 123.4 to 100.6, even during this stretch. But the defense is the most important thing that Denver can control in those moments. When Jokic is on, 109.3. When Jokic is off, 109.4. That is why they are a better defense. It is because they have figured out the bench at least a little bit. Zeke, Vlaco, Bruce Brown, they've really led that charge. Jamal has been intense when he's been with the bench. He has helped on the defensive end, that's for sure. And then KCP, when he rotates with them, of course, is going to be fantastic. Aaron Gordon, same thing. Bones, still the last guy to really figure some things out. When Bones is on the court, the Nuggets defensive rating is still 118.8, even when Denver's been in this stretch. However, I'm not giving up hope because the offensive rating while he's out there is still very good. And Denver's been able to make it work. But just know that the bench is the reason why Denver has improved as much as it has over the course of these last couple games or these last 12 games. Jokic has found some ways to make it work. Michael Porter is playing better. Aaron Gordon, KCP, Jamal Murray, those guys are locked in. Don't get me wrong. But Denver had been hemorrhaging points with the bench. Now they're not hemorrhaging them as much. Now they're still they're still trying to make it work on the offensive end. That is still a process. But it's a process that they're working through. And while they're working through it, they found a group defensively that works for them. With Zeke, Vlaco, Bruce Brown. Those guys have been great. How real is this? I don't know. I don't know if this is going to be a situation where Denver, like they don't have the third ranked defense like they do in the last 12 games. They're not the third best defense in the NBA. I do not believe that. Are they fifth? No. Are they seventh? Eh, Are they 10th? Maybe. 
Are they 28th? No. No, but no way. There's no way that they're the 28th ranked defense. So to see them improve, they're now up to 23rd on the season. To see them improve over the course of these last few weeks has been good. But it also doesn't really matter. The number doesn't matter. It's can you solve the problem? Can you find ways to go at whatever matchup you have and take away something? Take away two things. Take away three things. The more things that you can take away from the opponent in a playoff series, the better your chances are. And if you have to sacrifice offense in order to do those things, that's bad. What Denver should be hoping is that they don't have to sacrifice everything, anything on the offensive end in order to get at least some things good on the defensive end. Michael Porter improving, that's helped. Jokic finding ways to get his hands in passing lanes and rebounding well and doing things like that, that's helped. Are they going to shut teams down? No. I don't think that they have to. They've got to just hustle. They've got to stay connected. They've got to be willing to sell out. And everybody's got to do it. Nobody is exempt. Jokic, not exempt. Murray, not exempt. Porter, not exempt. Bones, not exempt. Everybody on the team has to commit. And I think Denver's shown real defensive improvement, and it is real enough to pair with the all-time offense that they do have. So we will see if that manifests. But for now, that is going to do for this episode of Pickaxe and Roll, brought to you by Superbook Sports. Thank you so much, everybody, for tuning in. I hope everybody enjoyed the podcast. Think that this is a good one. Think that some of these numbers are really important for people to know in terms of why things are going well. Christian Brown, not really playing right now. And that's okay, because Denver's actually found a way to play defense without him. That's a good thing. People should be celebrating that. And now Christian Brown will play if there are injuries. It's just how it works. Thank you so much, everybody, for tuning in. I will be back tomorrow after the Phoenix Suns game that the Nuggets are playing in. We will see Phoenix is coming off of a back-to-back, traveling west to east. They're going to get in and probably get into a hotel room at 4 a.m. It's going to be a really tough spot for them. Denver, they've got to take advantage. We'll see. Thank you so much, everybody, for tuning in. Talk to you guys very soon.